So like Pastor Wayne said, we are starting a new series on the second letter to the Corinthians. Paul, as you all know, founded the church there. Praise God. So he had to write a letter and straighten a few things out. So the, fortunately, the letter was well received and things Pretty much got straightened out. But let's uh, pray this morning as we open up this series. Father, in Jesus' name, touch our lives and help us, God, to learn and grow. Show us great and mighty things out of your word, God, that your name would be glorified, Lord Jesus, in our midst. Amen. Amen. A little history about Corinth, if you know anything about it. <clears throat> it's in Greece. It's still there. However, if you get out the atlas to look for Corinth, it's spelled in the, the Greek, and it's uh, spelled with the letter K, not a letter C. I had the hardest time finding it, because where's Corinth? So I finally found the map, and there it is, spelled with the letter K. Wouldn't you know it? Well, it's a very important city at that time when Paul the Apostle was there. He had gone there on his second missionary journey, uh, he went to Athens first and then uh, went to Corinth. And uh, there in Corinth, uh, he uh, founded the church, got some people saved, went to the synagogue, told the Jewish people about Jesus. Uh, they rejected it, so he went and right next door, I believe it was, had a building right next to the synagogue. And a lot of people believed. And he told the, the Jews, well, if you guys... Um, Consider yourselves unworthy of eternal life. That's fine. Have it your way. I'm going to the Gentiles. And Paul actually was known as the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, the reason that the city was so important is because it's on what's known as an isthmus. And it's only about four miles wide. And in those days, it was founded about 600 B.C., um, Instead of going south around the bottom of Greece, it was very dangerous. People would come in. They'd bring their boats and goods in. There was a, a great um, bay there. They'd either unload their stuff and carry it over, or somebody created a little train that you could put the boats on. Not very big boats, but some of the boats, and they could take it across. And so they controlled commerce. Also, south of the Isthmus was a large peninsula, which is still there today, of course, the Peloponnemini, whatever you call it, I can't pronounce the name too well, peninsula. Any commerce that went from there had to go through Corinth. So guess what the people of Corinth decided to do? They decided to charge money to go through their little place. And so Corinth became very wealthy. Uh, in addition, anybody ever heard of the Olympics? Y'all have heard of the Olympics. Well, guess what? They used to have the Isthmus Games there in the vicinity of Corinth, starting around 580 B.C. Every two years, it was an international uh, competition similar to the uh, Greek um, Olympics. It was so wealthy that 
there's something known in architecture today as the Corinthian capitals. If you ever see those old pictures of old uh, stone temples with the big columns, there's a very ornate top to the column called the Corinthian column. That was a sign of great wealth. Praise God. And it's a uh, very... <coughs> oh, wrong word, sorry. Never mind. I, I, I digress. So they had a lot of wealth. However, in 146 B.C., the Roman Empire decided we've had enough and uh, they went over to uh, uh, northern Africa. They defeated the Carthaginians. They, they destroyed Carthage. And then they decided, you know what? These Corinthians got too much power. So they sent a Roman general in, 146 B.C. They destroyed the whole city, burn it down, take all the people captive and slaves, and uh, that was the end of it for a while. But in 44 B.C., Julius Caesar refounded the city and populated it with Romans. But, of course, there was other people there, too. And uh, in 27 B.C., it was named as the capital of the province of Achaia. One of the major exports at that time were educated Greek slaves. Slavery is nothing new. It's been around a long time. <clears throat> Most of these slaves that were educated, they didn't have freedom to go about, you know, make money doing whatever they wanted. They were slaves, and most of them were doctors and teachers. That was a major export of Corinth. The other thing about Corinth is, first of all, it had, or actually not first of all, because I already gave you a bunch of information, it had the largest population of any city in Greece at that time. There was also, because of all their wealth, the temple of Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the goddess, or so-called goddess of love, beauty, pleasure, and procreation. There were over a thousand prostitutes at the temple there. That's how, I don't know how you'd worship doing that, but that's how they worshiped Aphrodite, to try and gain her favor so that they could have lots of good crops and lots of kids. You don't need to worship a statue to do that. Can you say amen? It was a center of idolatry. There was not only the temple of Aphrodite, but there was also um, the Egyptian goddess Isis was worshipped there because, as you know, the Greeks and the Romans, they really thought highly of wisdom and philosophy and all that nonsense when all the answers to every life problem is in the Word of God. Can you say amen? Every answer to every problem in life is found in the Word of God. So, there was also another thing uh, called the mystery religion of Mithras, which came from the Indo Indian and Iranian region, and it was also about wisdom and stuff. Any event, on his second missionary journey, Paul leaves there, and guess who he meets in Corinth? Anybody know? Two famous people, a husband and wife. He meets them in Corinth. Priscilla and Aquila, or Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila's the husband, Priscilla's the wife. They're tent makers. They take up residence there. He stays for about a year and a half. All of a sudden, after a year and a half, Paul gets hauled into court. There's another one of the famous pastimes of the Corinthians is going to court. Hey, 
Instead of, you know, dealing with each other, they decide, all right, let's go to court. And Paul actually wrote in the first letter, you guys, you're supposed to be saved, supposed to ever work things out, don't need to go to court. Paul himself gets dragged into court. The proconsul of Achaia says, you know what? This case is meritless. Get out of here. Leave me alone. Don't bother me. And Paul is given the freedom to continue his work for God. <clears throat> In any event, they moved to Ephesus. But Paul says, you know what? They had taken up an offering. He says, uh, that's fine. You guys stay here. I'm going to Jerusalem. He goes back. He brings the offering there. And then he heads back to Antioch. And from there, he began his third missionary journey. But before he did that, while Priscilla and Aquila are in Ephesus, Apollos comes. He's an, a, a, a Jewish man from Alexandria, Egypt. Alexandria was founded by Alexander the Great. There used to be a great library there. Who knows, maybe the, how they built the pyramids was written in there. But it's all gone now. But Apollos, and this gets me, he's an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures, fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, but he didn't know about Jesus. And he comes to Ephesus, and everyone's impressed. And Priscilla and Aquila, they take him under their wing, and they explain the things of God more accurately to him. And then he gets a letter of recommendation and Apollos goes back to Corinth. And guess what happens over there? Oh, we have a favorite preacher now. I like Paul. No, no, I like Apollos. I'm Apollos' disciple. Oh, no, I'm Paul's disciple. And Paul has to write in his first letter, no, 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 no. You're Jesus' disciple. Did Paul get crucified for you? No. Did Apollos get crucified for you? No. Okay, case closed. Titus also gets sent to uh, Corinth because Paul wants to know, well, did they get the letter? I believe Titus brought the letter, and then Paul wants to know, well, what happened? So on his third missionary journey, Paul makes it back to Ephesus. And then from Ephesus, he stays there a while. He goes north to Macedonia, and uh, uh, he's up there, which is part of, uh, I guess, modern-day Greek still today, Thessalonica, Philippi, Berea, and then he gets, he's in Macedonia and he writes this letter. <clears throat> and one of the purposes of this letter that he writes is he defends himself. Because the people there were saying, well, you know, Paul, oh, his letters are mighty, but in person he's a wimp. That's the Colville translation. But he's not. He begins, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And let's stop right here. Because Paul, as you know, was not one of the original 12 apostles. Everybody knows that, right? Paul was not one of the original 12 apostles. But he says, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So it's God's plan in the first place. Oh, the other interesting thing about the... Uh, <clears throat> the uh, city of Corinth is that they waited until 1893 to finally cut a canal through so ships could, have, could uh, just go right through. It's about four miles long. It's nice and straight. It's an engineering feat. It's 69 feet wide at the bottom. It's only 26 feet deep. 
but it's 82 feet wide at the, at the water level, so big ships can go through, but they don't go under their own power. <laughs> they probably crashed. Have somebody tow them through. Anyway, I thought that was really interesting because they used to use the railway until the ninth century, but somebody got smart eventually. Anyway, so there they were. Paul says, I'm an apostle. And this word apostle simply means a delegate or an ambassador of the gospel. It literally means someone who is sent or a messenger, someone who's officially commissioned by Christ Jesus himself. And it's by the will of God. And it's, he's claiming, or the, uh, excuse me, um, Albert Barnes, who is a Bible commentator, graduated from Princeton Theological Seminary in 1823. He wrote 14 volumes of notes on the Old and New Testament. And he says about this greeting, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church that is at Corinth. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Mr. Barnes says this is an affectionate salutation. These people, when they read this, they read that and heard it, they should have known they, they, that this is somebody writing a letter to them who really cares about them. Anybody ever hear that saying, nobody cares about what you know until they know that you care? Nobody cares about what you know until they know that you care about them. And so this is an affectionate salutation and an appropriate expression of Paul's interest in their well-being by someone who claims to be inspired by the will of God and sent by God. And he calls Timothy our brother. But in other places, when he's talking directly in the letter to Timothy, he calls Timothy my son. But here he's calling him our brother, our sibling. <clears throat> and there he has all eight of his letters, including 1 Corinthians, open up by saying, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So grace, verse 2, the grace of God has saved us. God did not Give us what we deserve. Can you say amen? Can you say thank you, Jesus? God does not give us what we deserve. By His grace we're saved through faith. Hallelujah. Not of ourselves. It's a gift from God. And because of the grace of God displayed on the cross, we have peace with God. Can you say amen? Don't have to fear God. Don't have to worry. Is God going to kill me? If I die today, am I going to be with Jesus or not? Because we have confidence that His grace is sufficient and inexhaustible. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. To the church that is in Corinth. And He includes and all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, which was the province that included the uh, lower part of Greece and upper part of which Corinth was the capital. The first letter was addressed only to the church at Corinth. But this letter is addressed to all the saints. Hallelujah. Grace from God saves us. 
gives us peace with God. Hallelujah. And it's at the cross. And it continues in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, God of all comfort. Blessed be the God and Father. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you. He's giving thanks when he says, blessed be. He's saying, thank you, Lord. And you say, amen. Comfort flows from his mercies. He's the God of all comfort because of his mercy. Hallelujah. Blessed be the Father of mercies is the source of mercies. And thank God that his mercies are inexhaustible. Can you say amen? James chapter 5, verse 11 says these words, we consider them blessed who remain steadfast, comforted, because we're not always comforted every single moment of the day. Can you say amen? Are you comforted every single moment of the day? <laughs> no, there's trouble, there's trials, life is tough. How many have ever seen the movie The Princess Bride? And uh, our favorite movie. Man in Black has captured the Princess Bride and, and he says something to her and she says, you mock my pain. And he tells her, life is pain, princess. Anyone who tells you differently is trying to sell you something. Life is pain. Life is hard sometimes. Life is tough sometimes. Not always easy. Can you say amen? But we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 33. <clears throat> in me, you may have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus hadn't even gone to the cross yet, and he said, I have overcome the world. Praise God. That gives me hope. <laughs> be of good cheer. I don't want any tribulation. Well, I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. You're going to have some. Why? Because it will, first of all, let you see that God is moving. When you get in tribulations and you pray and God answers your prayers, praise God. That's, that's how it works. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 says, This is the victory that has overcome the world our faith. God is trustworthy. Can you say amen? Totally trustworthy. His grace and mercy is inexhaustible. And it goes on to say in verse 4 that God comforts us in all our affliction. We'll stop right there for just a second. I don't want any affliction. Sorry, that's just how I am, but unfortunately, what I want is not what I always get. Can you say amen? Praise God. Tribulation. It's the Greek word. This is a tongue twister. Philipsis. Sounds like a, I don't know what. Philipsis. It's affliction. It means distress or trouble or anguish or tribulation. In other words, pressure. Anybody have any pressure? Your boss wants you to hurry up and make money for him. Praise God. Maybe you have financial pressures in your life. Maybe you have relationship pressures. Anybody ever have pressure? That's what have pressure does is it pushes down. Hallelujah. But 
The God of all comfort comforts us in our affliction and when there's pressure so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any pressure. The reason we go through things is so that God teaches us, you can make it. You can get through this. You can tell somebody, I went through the same thing you're going through and this is how God helped get us through it. Hallelujah. Praise God. Yes, remember uh, what Jesus said about the comforter? And this is funny. Look here. Uh, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, that we be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. I think it's in there quite a bit so that we get it. Can you say amen? God wants us to be comforted in our afflictions because he's got a purpose for it. Glory to God. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is the helper. Notice also that comfort is singular. And let's see. God of all comfort. He comforts us. But you notice that um, any affliction in the Greek, it doesn't look like it here because this is English, but afflictions is plural but comfort is singular. Listen to this carefully. Afflictions and tribulations and trials is plural, but comfort is in the singular in the Greek. Because there may be a lot of trials and distresses, but there is one comfort which is able to swallow up all of those afflictions. Another word for this comfort is consolation. Anybody who's ever had any babies, you know that babies cry a lot because they don't, they don't know how to talk. <laughs> you pick them up and you comfort them and you console them. I always get the picture of God, you know, when we become born again. He's like a dad and he's got us and holding us and we've got our arms draped around him and our heads on his shoulder and we're comforted. And eventually he wants us to grow up so he can put his arm around us and say, that's my boy, that's my daughter. Praise God. First Peter chapter 4, verse 14 says, <clears throat> if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Praise God. In 2 Timothy, whoops, sorry, I was getting ahead of myself. <clears throat> the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you when Excuse me, when you're insulted for the name of Christ. Like Pastor Wayne was saying last week, we have it pretty good in this country. We don't have a lot of persecution. We don't have a lot of laws that are aimed against Christians in general. But in other countries, like in India, the uh, <clears throat> person, the Mr. Modi, or whatever his name is, who's in charge of India, he's in uh, this uh, political group that wants India to be identified and they want only the whole country to be Hindu. So that means no other religion is going to be allowed in that country. And right now, in India, in certain areas, they're murdering Christians. They're, 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 they're going crazy. In parts of Africa, they're going crazy because there's a spirit behind that attitude that doesn't want to have anything to do with Jesus and that Christians are, you know, 
That's one case. But in our case, hopefully, as we go through our day, we're a shining example of what Jesus is, a shining example of what a Christian is. Can you say amen? And so if we're insulted because of that, I heard one pastor say, you should have a, what's that called a duck's back. Water just rolls off. Somebody insults you, just laugh about it. <clears throat> one time on the one job, they were giving out T-shirts, you know, in recognition for um, doing a good job. I guess we made them a lot of money. And uh, the one foreman, he comes up he's, he's in front of everybody. He says, Joe, what size shirt will we get for you, a kid's size? And he's trying to make fun of me. And I thought that was funny. So I laughed. And he looked at me. He goes, oh, you don't get insulted? No, that was funny. <laughs> I'm smaller than you, you know, of course. But being insulted for Christ is a whole different thing. People look down on you and despise you because you won't cuss. You won't tell dirty jokes. You won't laugh at their stupid, dirty jokes. And they look at you like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> what's wrong with me? What's wrong with you? <laughs> but we're blessed. We ourselves are comforted. Glory to God. In verse 5, it begins, as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. Wait, what? Uh, Christ, we don't want, I don't want to suffer, do you? But we do. So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. Now you notice this word abundantly here. It literally means to exist in abundance like wealth. So as you know, the grace of God is superabundant. The mercy of God is superabundant. It's inexhaustible. Praise God. So God promises that we'll be comforted. If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. And this salvation here in the Greek is consolation, like the picture of the baby getting picked up and patted on the back. And if we are comforted, there are times it says comfort in these verses. The last verse, God of comfort. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten times. I think it's kind of important that God wants us to get this, that in the midst of trials and troubles, you can have consolation and help and hope. It literally means, it's the Greek word paraklesis, which means a calling to one's side. It also means an exhortation. You can make it. You can get through this. God's going to help you. Hallelujah. Philippians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Paul says, I forget in all those things that lie behind me and I'm pressing forward that I may know Him. The power of His resurrection may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Because his death, when we identify ourselves with Christ's death, that we had to consider ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. Can you say amen? There's a trustworthy saying in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. If we died with him, we will also live with him. Because Paul, and we'll see in the next verse, Paul went through some pretty tough times. If you remember reading in the book of Acts in one of the cities, they stoned him, took him outside, threw rocks at him, and thought he was dead, so they left him. 
because they didn't like what he said. I would have loved to see the look on their faces when he got back up and went back into the city. <laughs> I would have loved to see that. Hi, guys. Didn't work. <laughs> I have eternal life. <laughs> Praise God. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Jesus said in chapter 16 of Matthew's Gospel, verse 24, Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. We want to walk close with Jesus as close as we can. I heard one pastor say, you're as close to Jesus as you want to be. It's up to you. Get up in the morning before your feet hit the floor. It's another day. Do you say, oh, God, it's morning? Or do you say, oh, God, good morning? Praise God. Wake up in the morning and say, oh, my goodness, another day. Ha! Another day, you're still alive. Can you say amen? Praise God. Let's go on. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and consolation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Paul the Apostle and his companions, wherever they went, they were followed by people who were telling all the new believers, no, 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 he's wrong. You have to get circumcised. And Paul was saying, no, 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 you don't have to get circumcised. And the people that were telling him or getting that told that to said, you want to do what to us? And they were saying, no, no, no. And they actually tried to kill him. The Bible says in one of Paul's letters, he says, everywhere I go, these people follow me. And there's some of them are lying in wait. Remember when Paul gets arrested, <clears throat> or not arrested, he gets rescued on his last trip to Jerusalem. The, the crowd, the, a riot happens, and they're, they're about to kill him, and the Roman soldiers come in to rescue him, and they tell him, hey, I'm a Roman citizen, blah, blah, blah. And uh, they, they put him in protective custody, and his nephew finds out there's 70 guys. They've taken a vow. They're not going to eat anything until they kill you. And uh, so tell the Roman uh, uh, centurion, and oh, okay, well, we better do something about it. And uh, I guess those 70 guys starved to death. But this was Paul, everywhere he went, he had enemies, physical enemies. But he was comforted and he patiently endured and he experienced comfort. And you and I can experience the same thing. Can you say amen? We have problems. You can experience the hand of God touching you if you will patiently endure, the Bible says through faith and patience we inherit the promises. Notice the word end is in the word endure. If you remain steadfast, you remain faithful, you trust God, and you continue to trust God, there will come an end, and you will experience the comfort. And Paul writes in verse 7, our hope for you is unshaken, immovable. Hallelujah. It's steadfast on your behalf. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a great chapter where Paul writes the description of love, the love that God puts in our hearts. It says, love bears all things in verse 7 believes all things, endures all things. 
And in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9, it says these words, Beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. How many has ever led somebody to Jesus and then watched them just stumble along and fall down the cliff back into where they were? Anybody ever have that happen to you? You tried to get somebody saved. They got saved. They asked Jesus into their life. And then, that was it. What a mess. Well, those that did get saved and they, they're struggling and they do stuff to you and you think, are these people really even saved? Kathy and I have been saved and serving God for a long time, more than 30 years. We've seen a lot of people come and go. We've had people um, hurt us, basically. And you wonder, you know, God, what's going on? And you endure. And even now, there's people in our lives that wonder, what's God doing in their lives? Are they really got it or not? And the challenge is for us to believe, all of us as believers, the challenge is for us to believe that God is doing something in their lives and to believe, excuse me, good things for them. Our faith, the Bible says, becomes effective by the acknowledging of every good thing that's within us. We need to acknowledge every good thing that's in others too. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. I hope you don't think I'm berating you too much. Hallelujah. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. This is uh, modern-day Turkey. When he was over there in Ephesus, there was a riot. Uh, and it's a good thing that he didn't go into the arena because they probably would have killed him. His friends went and they beat the friends. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. I think they were depressed. I think they were depressed. We were desperate. We despaired of life. In Acts chapter 19, on his third missionary journey there, he's in Ephesus. In verse 23, it says, There arose no little disturbance concerning the way. There was a riot in Ephesus. And in Ephesus, they had a temple to the goddess Diana. They said, <clears throat> and if you can believe this, you can believe anything, they said that this statue fell out of the sky. And there it is. We worship this statue. Kind of like Aaron telling uh, Moses, Well, I'm... Uh, the people brought all their golden stuff and they threw it in the fire and a golden calf jumped out. Really? <laughs> so, apparently there were some guys that made little silver statues of this Diana and they got mad because uh, Paul came and told them that that's not a real God. I'm telling you about the real God. And so they lost their income and they got mad and had a riot. <clears throat> but interesting thing, there was a man named Heraclitus of Ephesus, who lived around 400 B.C. He's famous for about four or five sayings, one of them which is now a law of physics that the only constant in the universe is change. He's also quoted as saying that men are beasts because in Acts chapter, or later on in, in uh, this letter, Paul, or actually it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32, Paul says, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. 
So it could be that he fought with animals or these men who are considered beasts. There were uh, many adversaries in Ephesus. And uh, if you know anything about the story of Paul's stay in Ephesus, uh, the seven sons of Sceva came and they were the itinerant exorcists. They tried to exorcise uh, a demon out of a guy and the guy looks at them and says, Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. And who are you? And he beats the tar out of them and sends them out of the house naked and injured. And news of this goes all around. There was also, uh, Ephesus was known for uh, the practice of magic arts. And it says in the uh, uh, Acts that um, 50,000 pieces of silver was the value of all of the uh, stuff that these people, books and stuff that the people used for uh, their magic arts. And they came and they burned them and destroyed them. Oh, the museums, they were so mad that all these artifacts were destroyed. Oh, did you know that there are certain people in the museum industry who uh, are adamantly opposed to Christians who become converted from the old animist religions, destroying their artifacts and stuff? There's some countries where it's against the law, if I remember correctly. I remember uh, Pastor Harris was telling us that uh, there was a politician over there in Kurdistan of Iraq who got angry and upset because they were talking to the Yazidi peoples and they uh, were worshiping Satan and got some of them converted and they didn't like that. So here's, these are some of the things that happened. As a result, there's a riot in Ephesus and Paul escapes with his life. This is what he's talking about. He was burdened beyond, there was pressure beyond strength. He despaired of life himself. Said, you know, in other words, he understood I could be killed at any moment. That was his lot in life. There was many enemies. Equally dangerous were the Judaizers. In verse 9 and 10, Paul says, we felt that we received the sentence of death. <clears throat> he knew that he had deadly enemies, that there were people that would like to see him dead. But we were afflicted in chapter 4 of this same letter, 2 Corinthians, we were afflicted on every way, but not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair. <clears throat> he understood that verse is it? verse 8, we despaired of life itself. This doesn't mean that he despaired because he was perplexed like he says in chapter 4, but he's saying that I understood that we were uh, always under the sentence of death. That, and the reason was God allowed that to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. God delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So Paul saying that he knew he had enemies, like I said. In Acts chapter 20, verse 19, there is a description of uh, some of the things that he faced in life. 
and equally dangerous for the Judaizers. These people are, anybody ever heard of the word fanatic? Hello? Ah, one person heard the word fanatic. <laughs> Two people. <laughs> a fanatic. How about a, how about a sports fan? Everybody's known as a sports fan. Well, sports fan, that's just uh, a small word <laughs> that describes a fanatic, a sports fanatic. So it's okay to be a sports fanatic, but it's not okay to be a Christian fanatic? Come on. Praise God. But there are some fanatics that are dangerous. A Christian fanatic is dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. Can you say amen? When all you want to talk about is Jesus and what he's done for you. One time I, I had a, a bunch of flyers. I was inviting somebody to, or people to uh, different, uh, uh, some event, I forget what it was, at church. And the guy looks at me and goes, what are you, some kind of fanatic? And I didn't have time to think. And the words just kind of blurted out of my mouth. If you knew what Jesus did for you, you'd be a fanatic too. And he said, oh yeah, I know, I go to a certain church. I said, really? Okay. Well, yes, I'm a fanatic for Jesus. I'd rather talk about Jesus than anything else. Hallelujah, because he's been so good to us. What he did for us when he died on the cross and took our place and took the punishment we deserve. Praise God. How could we ever repay that? Can you say amen? Hallelujah. And then we set our hope on him because Psalm 25, verse 2, O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me because God is our defender. Verse 11, or verse 10, he says, You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. How many remember the story of Peter gets arrested, puts in the prison in Jerusalem, and it says uh, in Acts chapter 12, verse 5, earnest prayer for Peter was made to God by the church. And Peter's in the jail in the middle of the night, an angel comes in, opens the door that's locked, there's four soldiers sitting around him. There's four soldiers outside and standing guard. And the angel kicks him. Get up. Put your shoes on. Put your, shoes. Put your cloak on. Follow me. And the gate opens by itself and he walks out. And uh, the guards don't do nothing. <laughs> and he goes to the house where they're all praying for him. Bang, 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 bang. It's me, Peter. And it says that Rhoda comes to the door and says, Who is it? It's me, Peter. Open the door. Let me in. Shh. And instead of opening the door, she goes and says, hey, everybody, Peter's outside. And they say, oh, you're nuts. We're praying for him to get released from prison. Well, he's outside right now. This is one of the funniest stories of the New Testament. What do you mean? He's, no, 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 we're praying for him. Shh. Oh, he's outside. So they finally open the door, and he goes, Shh. I'm going to go somewhere else, but thanks for praying for me. So, <laughs> God is a sense of humor. Can you say amen? Prayer works. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? Prayer works. Philippians chapter 1 verse 19, Paul writes, he says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, 
this will turn out for my deliverance. Whatever he was going through at the time. So, what does that mean for us? That means that prayer meeting Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. That means you can pray anytime, anywhere, any place. That means pray for Pastor Wayne and myself. Pray for the leaders of our country. But pray especially for our churches to grow and that through the prayers of many, blessing will be granted to the church at large. We need prayer. Can you say amen? Notice that it says you must help. Because if you've read anything about prayer, God usually doesn't do stuff unless we pray. The Bible says, Jesus said, ask. The Father knows what you need before you ask, but ask anyway. Hallelujah. <clears throat> First Timothy chapter 4, verse 10 says this words, For to this end we toil and strive because we have set our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. The reason he's called the Savior of all people is because Jesus died for all people. Can you say amen? It's God's desire that everyone could, should be saved. Paul knew that he was saved and he trusted God that his life was in God's hands no matter what happened. In Second Peter, his letter, uh, second letter of Peter, chapter 2, verse 9, it says, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Hallelujah. The Lord knows how to rescue us. Verse 11. Many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. What's the blessing granted? Comfort from God. Souls saved. The church built. Jesus coming back. Can you say amen? So, we believe God for great and mighty things. Are you comforted this morning? Are you afflicted this morning? It's for your good and for the good of the church so that you can see God's comfort. Because just like it says, when we're comforted in our afflictions, we can comfort others who might be going through the same or similar things. God is good. Can you say amen? Praise God. Let's close in prayer. Let's stand to our feet. Hallelujah.